0: Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO Matters that are top of mind for today's Chief Data Officers. There, 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 we go. We are, we are now live on stage. Good morning, okay. evening, Hi, good afternoon, whatever time it is, you are wherever you are. Uh, I'm Malcolm Hawker, head of the <laughs> head of data strategy with Prophecy Software, and host of the CDL Matters podcast. Joe, you and I were just backstage talking yeah. about your, uh, your 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 uh, traveling days here. Uh, my guest, uh, happy to have Mr. Joe Reese with us today. Nice. Let's talk about all things data engineering i'm i'm going to pick the brain of, of a data engineer a, a recovering data engineer from <laughs> from your from your tagline and,
1: recovering uh, data scientist i guess but now a recovering data engineer too probably but uh yeah we can talk more about that for your audience <laughs> that's a, is
0: that 24 steps then not just 12 it's it's like double if you're if you're like a recovering data scientist and a, and a data engineer so, sounds like a lot of uh, a lot of work probably like 48 steps cuz <laughs> going back and back and forth yeah so uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, we were just chatting backstage about uh, all of our uh, world travelers, uh, world travel. Um, Joe, just a little bit about you. I mean, I, I I could give your own bio. I mean, the 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 headline here is co-author of the best-selling O'Reilly book, Fundamentals of Data Engineering. Uh, now, right behind you, yeah, you can see with with the bird on it. Um, I have I I truth in advertising, I have not read the book. I've read the preface. Preface or preface? I I never know if I'm I saying say that preface. Right. Yeah. Preface? preface.
1: Yeah. Um, um, preface. Yeah. I suppose there's somebody out there that says preface. Um well I'm Canadian
0: know. and we have we have a tendency to do mm. those things like project and produce and pre and yeah. So I but we'll hold it against you. It's fine. Thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have a US passport now, so I'm I'm okay, I'm congrats. American as well. So maybe that means i'm i'm a recovering canadian i i don't know i still have my canadian passport though. i'm i never given that thing up if i ever need a, a brain transplant um yeah i'm i'm going back to canada it's a good place
1: yeah. I like canada
0: yeah there's a lot there's a lot to like uh for sure but with all things around the world there's there's a lot of things to be concerned about as well but anyway sure. um your book t- t- yeah. tell us more about why you wrote it i i don't i don't want to tell the reader uh, our our listeners why you did but tell us why you you went about writing about data engineering?
1: I mean, it, it's... I, I think to back up, you know, data science, um, you know, machine learning for the past, yeah, let's say at least it's the early 2010s, right? It's been uh, increasingly popular, especially with the rise of AI right now, and I think all the hype around that. Um, you know, there's a lot of temptations to want to get into um, machine learning and AI, and I think rightfully so. It's, there, there's a lot of um, productivity and gains and really cool stuff you can do with it at the same time what i noticed from day one and i've been working in machine learning for for a long time at this point um you know the um i think the desire to get into ai machine learning hire a bunch of data scientists came at the expense of really not setting a a foundation Mm -hmm. for the success with data science and uh, you know machine learning and AI and so forth. And that foundation is really built upon data engineering. You know, I, I learned this the hard way. That's when my, uh, tagline on LinkedIn is recovering a data scientist, uh, kind of friends. And I jokingly came up with that term back. Uh, I think we called ourselves reformed data scientists it's as far back as 2014, 2015, uh, but well, even then we had, before data
0: science was cool.
1: Yeah, I think it was right on the cost of it becoming cool. But even okay. then I think we, we noticed it was like, you know, the, uh, um, there was even a lot of hype back then, you know, and, and we just, uh, I think, after having experienced, um, you know, I think a lot of just the school of hard knocks along the way and and whatnot, that's um, a, a title that's stuck to this day and now it's become somewhat of a meme. But, uh, you know, th- there's more of us now out there. I noticed uh, the recovering data scientist tagline is uh, often used. And uh, so it's, it's cool to, you know, see that. But, you know, that's more of a tongue-in-cheek joke. But back to the book, you know, it was really written, I think, as a response to the popularity and the rise of data engineering uh you know along the way companies were starting to realize that setting a foundation was critical and data engineers were there to facilitate it and you know there there were some great books i would say like designing data intensive applications i don't know riley by martin klepman is still a great technical book um but that was written in 2017 you know and i felt like one there needed to be a prequel to that book that book is very much for software engineers and it's about distributed systems um you know and certainly helpful. But, you know, increasingly, since 2017, there's there been a lot of abstraction along the way, and uh, tooling and in practices. And so we really wanted to capture sort of the, um, I, I guess, coupling this with the, the zeitgeist of the moment, uh, data engineering and, and popular um, practices, but also coming up with a book that was also going to stand the test of time. And by test of time, I mean, five to 10 years, which for a tech book is actually quite, uh, um, you know, bit of longevity and so that was the two motivations and so we wrote a book that was i would say i would argue is very um technology agnostic vendor agnostic um platform agnostic and so forth we didn't want to write a book about say data engineering on aws we really wanted to get to the underlying um practices and you know mental frameworks around data engineering and i like to think we accomplished that so so so
0: it is generally for a slightly more technical audience though, right? So if I if if I'm a CDO, would you be recommending that book to me or probably somebody that works for me, right?
1: Mm, I think both actually. We wrote the first okay. uh four chapters of the book really to be accessible by anybody. It's it's not full of jargon. It's uh I think really much uh and it's four chapters, right? So four chapters part one of the book. It's really good towards anybody. Like my wife read it. She understood it. She's not technical at all. She works in finance. She got it. Then, you know, part two starts jumping off into, I think, more technical aspects of it. But the, the, the whole notion is to make, I, I think my problem with a lot of tech books is they, they tend to be very um, unapproachable and, and I think mm. opaque almost by design, right? And, and I feel like if you really understand your subject and you really understand what your audience is trying to get out of a book, um, for the most part, they want something that's approachable, easy to read, easy to understand. Um you know, and, and so that's at least especially the book like this, which is meant to be, I think, accessible to a large um, number of people, you know, uh, uh, considered a win that, you know, a non-technical person, um, you know, can can pick it up and understand it. So,
0: Well, shame on me. That means I need I have some reading to do. You should go um, read it. It's good. On, on, the bright, on the bright side, I do. I'm, I'm a big Kindle guy. And oh, cool, cool um, absolutely, we'll, we'll throw it on the list. Uh, your we'll sign your, I'll sign
1: your Kindle for you. So. Okay, thank
0: Fine. you. That that would be that would be, uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Uh, you're you're number two in the queue behind Bill Schmarzo. I I, I promised nice. Bill that I would read his book on AI and digital yeah, literacy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, l- look forward to consuming more. If if I'm if I'm a new CDO, and there's a lot of new CDOs out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I was at a CDO conference a couple of weeks ago in Boston, and I was overwhelmed by how many new CDOs are are out there. Particularly. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Particularly in the federal space where. There are federal departments and agencies who are mandating the role must exist. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you've got a lot of people that are new to the role who may be not late career, maybe early or mid career, who don't have a ton of experience um, leading leading technical teams. What are the like three or four things that, as let's say, I'm a relatively new CDO that, I did, and then I came from a business background. Maybe I came mm-hmm. out of sales, or maybe I came out of marketing. And I've been tasked to go deliver on the digital transformation, which is a very common thing these days. What What are the three or four things that I would need to know about managing data engineers? What, what What's what, what What's it like in the mind of a data engineer?
1: I think you know. So if I'm in a data engineering position and I see that my company has hired a new CDO, and maybe that CDO is you know, um, uh, you know, in, in some sort of skip level way, uh, my boss. Yep. Right. I mean, I'll I'll tell you the things that go through my mind is. Um, Okay, so what's going to change for me? Uh sort of the who move my cheese moment. Um what sort of projects are we going to be working on? Um does this person have a um you know the um I wouldn't just say the technical acumen to understand, you know, what I would do as a data engineer, but also uh you know, can they talk to us? Do they, can they relate to us in a way that we um, you know, like to be related to, right? Do they understand what we do? You know, are they going to take the time to get to know us uh, you know, are they going to set us up, uh, you know, set us up for success as, as well as, you know, um, make the project successful? I think those are things that immediately come to mind. And then obviously, you know, the big question marks is, um, you know, if you know a thing or two about CDOs, the, the lifespan of a CDO is, uh, I would say it's remarkably short. What is it, 18 it is. months or something like that?
0: It depends I mean, on who you ask. Anywhere yeah. from 18 months to, you know, 30-ish. Uh, but it's typically half that of a CIO.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, not long. Right. And I think part of that is the immaturity of the field and the, the immaturity of expectations around this position. But now that it's mandated, I, I don't expect the immaturity to go away. It's more like just some federal yeah. agencies
0: and, and state, by the way, but, yeah, but, but we have
1: to have you therefore it's like, great. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I'd be looking at as a data engineer. I'm like, okay, so if I, if I know that the lifespan of a CDO is typically X, we'll call X it's moving target, but, um, or or t I guess for time uh <laughs> we'll use that variable but uh okay so it's t um you know it, it, are you going to be around enough to actually impact anything or do I just need to wait you out? Oof, that's harsh. Well, it depends, right? So that 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 comes into do I need to get you know? Or are you going to be there for us? You know, as as a team. I've seen this happen where um, leaders get in and and uh, you know the team is is sort of like well I don't know depends. If it, <laughs> like you know if you if you have our back we'll have yours but you know because but the waiting out part it's like do you do you have the the support of the executives that hired you to to make you successful or in the case of the federal agency you mentioned um are you hired because you have to fill a position and if you're hired to fill a position does that that, that, that does not mean that you necessarily have the support of somebody mm. that just means you had to fill a quota right um that's not the same as like hey, I support you 100% in this role. Those are two different things. And so I'd be looking at those things, right? Engineers tend to be very skeptical, you know, which is mm-hmm. why I kind of said the wait out part. Um, this is typically, the, I would say the mentality of engineers is very much, um, they're skeptical. They're probably somewhat cynical, <laughs> right? And uh, they, they want to do engineering things. They want to be able to do their jobs. And so I would say, like, get to know the um, teams that you're working with, data engineering being among those teams, not the only team, but... You know, understand that data engineering is definitely the glue that holds um, you know, the um, data together. It makes, it, it's what sets the foundation to make it work. Uh, it's what makes data scientists and analysts successful and so forth. So you really need to view things as a, uh, as a CDO, a very, you know, as, a, as a very cohesive, cohesive team. And, you know, and as the old saying goes, uh, respect gets respect. And so that's how I would view it.
0: Well, you touched on a few things that are, in my experience... Having having led engineering teams in the past, uh, completely bang on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, fairly cynical, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, right. uh, I think that can actually be for an engineer that can be a superpower, mm-hmm. right? If you're if you're que- if you're questioning the status quo, if you are if you're questioning or if you're doubtful, um, those can actually be really good things when it comes to uh, you know coding and and mm-hmm. and and actually engineering processes. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but. In my experience, engineers are gonna see through like fake technical acumen pretty quickly.
1: Oh, you agree? In about five milliseconds, yeah. Right. I mean, they have like, oh, it's, it's weird. Like, engineers they almost have a heat-seeking missile for um, <laughs> like spotting people that aren't one of them, right? right. And, and part of this is you know because it's you got to kind of understand that the, the persona of an engineer you, you know, you're very nerdy. You know, you're typically very smart, very sharp, and. Um, and it's, just, it's kind of its own competitive game in some ways, right? I mean, it's, it's nerds like to out-nerd each other. And that's, it's just kind of how it is. You know, just, um, so you just got to, cool. you got to know that up front, but they're sizing you up, whether you like it or not, I it, expect that to happen.
0: Well said, Size, sizing you up. So in my experience, um, non-technical people can be highly successful leading technical people if yeah. you let them do their jobs, right? Like, when I got put into a technical leadership role, I I I I was forced to do the unfrozen caveman lawyer. That's what I called it, right? It's like, <laughs> I don't know anything about your Java and I don't know anything about your Python, but I do know that we have these constraints and this amount of budget and this amount of time. Tell me what the best way is to do things. And for me, that seemed to resonate because mm-hmm. to me, engineers are problem solvers. And if you give them the freedom to solve the problem, that's half of the, their joy. Do You agree?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the old, old you know, uh, trope, right? Like, don't, don't tell me, uh, you know, how to do something. Just tell me what to do, and I'll, I'll figure out how to get it done, right? And so, so I think you need to be very crystal clear on your requirements. In fact, I was just looking at some posts on uh, LinkedIn before we started. Um, uh, it's, it's funny, you know, especially in data engineering circles, it's, it's funny that things kind of go in cycles. But like, now all of a sudden, everyone's talking about business requirements, um, you know, and, and uh, all that fun stuff. But they work for a while? I would say it's mostly ignored. I mean, most data engineering speak was always, always about tools, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but you know, it's, it's just one of these things where I think as you sort of mature, you you get to realize it's the tools and technology is all table stakes. Right. But this also means like as a CDO setting the agenda, you have to be very crystal clear or, or manager, right. If you're a non-technical manager, managing technical people, you need to be incredibly crystal clear on, um, you know, what you want. Again, not how to do it. That's leave that up to uh, the engineers and technical stakeholders to figure out, but you need to be crystal clear on what you want. I would say leave no ambiguity on the table in terms of the what this there's, there's nothing that will drive engineers crazier um, more quickly than giving than, um giving them very uh, ambiguous um, you know, requirements. Uh, or contradictory. So contradictory for sure. Yeah. Then that's a way to, you know, get, get people to rage quit or something. So uh, definitely like y- you have to know what you want. You have to be able to articulate it very, very clearly. And, and I would say both written, you know, and in, in conversation. And if people have questions, you should, you shouldn't backtrack. Uh, don't go switching the goalposts on people. I would say also define what success looks like up front uh, whatever that is, you know, both for the project. And I would say just for the greater mission in terms of like why you were hired as a CDO to begin with, right? Like what's, what's your success criteria? I would make that mm. clear to people so that they're not just sitting there like, well, what's this person's agenda? Like, why are they here? I mean, how you know, you've had bosses before and sometimes you, you're probably curious, like, what does this person do all day? Why are they here? Um, what are they incentivized by? And if you, if you understand that, then you have a better uh, picture of things. When you don't understand it, then I think it, it starts leading to, um, you know, animosity and, and that, or confusion and, and that sort of thing, which you, which you don't want. I mean, everyone should just, I think, people don't need to get along, but they need to, they need to go along. You know, and get the get the job done. So
0: so clarity plan. of requirements, clarity mm-hmm. of the role, transparency in the role, mm-hmm. right? Um, having some idea of what you want to accomplish, um, in my experience, when there's ambiguity or or for lack of a better word weakness there mm-hmm. in terms of 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 where we're going, that 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 is a that to me that's like a, a credibility foul that can do a lot of damage with engineers. You you need to to me you and you express this when you, when you were talking about you know lack of ambiguity and clarity when it comes to where we're going in the role and the success that's where you need to be really really clear and if you're not that's where that's where things can go sideways pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. At least it, it, at least in my experience, I, I've. I've seen engineers who will argue about the hill that they're climbing, but as long as there's clarity on what the hill is, they will climb it. Right. They'll grumble a little bit because they don't agree with, 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 with the path. But what I've, what I've seen is that if you can make, as a business case, as a CDO or any leader, if you can make a compelling business case, if you can make a compelling why, if you can connect the dots, right here's here's what i believe here's where we're going here's how we're going to get there here's why we're doing what we're doing that's that's the secret sauce to get engineers on board and if there's if you're missing any of those steps then it can become slightly toxic because i, I have seen a lot of engineers that are really really good at sort best way to describe it kind of like networking for for evil <laughs> Mm, <laughs> for, yeah. for lack of a better word I mean I don't I don't you know but but I I, I that is you, you've got to have your engineers behind you like, oh yeah you, you have to as, as far as I'm concerned and and, oh, yeah. and you're not going to do that by by feigning any sort of technical acumen if you don't have any the best thing you can do is say I don't have any
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly so how, it and well so let me add, we'll add to this. Show. go yeah. ahead well, because the other, the other thing I would add is that I want to make sure that you have, um, that as a CDO, you're developing relationships with uh, the stakeholders that the teams will depend on, right? Yeah. So the, this is like typically um, engineering orgs. So software engineering is typically yeah. separate from data, as it sounds right now. It drives me insane, but that's how it is. Um, so, But often data teams are dependent upon, say, the application or dev teams for the data that they get. And if you can't, Bridge that gap, uh, you know, it's um I, I think a lot of the the problems that we have in, in data actually stem from the um the dev and data divide that we have, right? Because because as the old saying, you know, um it goes like crap flows downhill, you can substitute whatever word you want, but it's but it's 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 often one direction, right? Uh the dev teams don't necessarily need to depend on data as it stands in most organizations, but the opposite is is um I think violently clear, like if, if if data doesn't have a good relationship with dev and it has reliability of getting data from dev, then you know, data can't do its job. But all too often I see this as definitely a um you know very critical, uh critical path that's often ignored. So well,
0: I was it's just funny you went there. that was exactly where I wanted to take the conversation, because when I was leading dev teams, like right, application development, there was absolutely positively a hard line between our DBAs and the data DBAs. Which yeah. are now like data engineers, like but DBAs, database administrators, old yeah. old school terminology, but largely for the same thing as people are building the models, managing the databases, and and on and on. But there was absolutely a hard line there, and you know the the last page of the requirements document was the reporting requirements. Hmm. Like it was like <laughs> it was pretty much the last page. It was always kind of tagged on to the business requirements document. And I wanted to pick your brain to see if that's if that's still the case and it sounds like it, there is still that hard kind of line there between application you know data from an application perspective and data from classic data engineering data and analytics perspective how do we how do we change that
1: it's interesting this morning I was doing a podcast on the morning morning data chat with um, some friends of mine from estuary they're a um, streaming um, provider but so I think there's a couple of ways that this will happen. part of it part of it, I think, is one, there's just a pure um lack of empathy uh, between different teams, right? Mm. Data doesn't know dev, dev doesn't know data. And in fact, last week, oh I'll get okay, let me finish the the uh, estuary discussion on the morning data chat. So I think streaming is actually one way that this is going to be solved because it's a forcing function. Mm. If you live in a batch-oriented world, for example, right, you don't have the you don't have the time dependencies that would facilitate um um I would say quick feedback in a way that would be useful, But If if I just need to get, if I need to pull data from a database from a dev team, right? They typically set up a read replica of the production database and have me read from that. That's that's great. But say that I'm, uh, you know, ingesting events or, or, um, you know, uh, incremental data on a continuous basis from an application. Well, that... That brings me closer to the dev team because now there's there's much more of a synergy with the data yeah. that we're are they're providing and we're consuming, and so I think that's definitely one way that that I t- see inevitably will happen. I, I think the um the lines between um you know batch and streaming are going to be continue to be blurred uh you know over the next couple years. Um, I think streaming is just going to be a first class citizen. I don't see a reason why it shouldn't be. So that's definitely one as a technical forcing function where the, the, the shorter the feedback loop. Um, that, that'll um, facilitate, uh, I think, by default, um, you know, more cooperation. Especially, say, an application team makes schema changes or data changes or data quality issues, downstream will need to know about that, right? So, I think that's that is obviously a forcing function that I, I think will will do a lot of good in the end. Um, the other part of it, though, is you know, it's, 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 so last week was very interesting. Um, I was gave a talk at uh, the Utah um, Engineering uh, Leadership uh, Meetup. So about 30 people in the room, mostly, you know, um, some software engineers, but mostly managers, directors, VPs, C level, you know, of engineering orgs. Um, you know, I talked about the dev and data divide there and and they, you know, they're in agreement. And I think the comments that I got were typically, yeah, we don't really care like, you know, about the data people. why should we? We have a lot to do. Um, you know, we're not getting paid any extra. Our mm-hmm. sprints don't include data people, so why should we really care about this? Um, you know, when they, one guy mentioned that when he gets a request from a data person, he just ignores it. He's like, "Nice." He's like, "Well, I, they, well, because they, they, he said they're not clear on what they want from me, right? And if you can't be clear on what you want from me, then why, why, Probably. why should I? Why should I? You know, take the time out of my very busy schedule where I have no incentive to help you and help you out. So, you know, the default is again just throw up the read replica database and have people just read from that. So that was and that was a very interesting conversation. I think that at least got the conversation um, going with dev people who just, you know, they, they weren't aware of data people, but they deal with data people all the time. A lot of these companies that they work at, I would say are, um, you know, quote, um, you know, they definitely have data, data products and so forth, but the application developers, it's just out of sight, out of mind. But then two days later, I go to Atlanta. This is very interesting. So I, um, you know, there's the uh, Joe Reese and DBT roadshow that I'll I'll do with a uh, DBT. Um, and so we did this meetup in Atlanta, and it was all data engineers, uh, analytics engineers, and so forth. And that, that was an interesting one. So I also brought up the uh, dev and data divide. And um, I would say same sentiments, but on the opposite end of the spectrum now, where you know, you're on the receiving end of data, you're not making it. Uh, you're relying on dev teams. And there it was, it was definitely a, a feeling of some people definitely had great relationships with their dev teams. Um, others definitely had uh, you know, a kind of a sense of, of existential dread because they were wholly dependent upon these dev teams that frankly didn't care about them. Right. So, you know, that's, and I think this is part of, you know, if you, if you look at the symptoms of, of things like, you know, we talk a lot about data governance and data quality and yeah. all this fun stuff, right. I think we're all too often focused on the data part of stuff and we ignore the bigger picture of where it comes from and who's providing it and maybe working with the upstream, um, you know, stakeholders and addressing these root causes. Again, all too often I see that we're just, we're in our own little bubble. We're like, oh, what, what can we do to, Patch over the data and um, you know and, and make it useful for bi and i and again, I think increasingly though you know to bring it back to the first point with with um, you know streaming and, and more tighter coupling with teams um, you know the the sooner you're aware of problems with your data, the sooner you're able to address them right and I, I think that that's um, it, it's by necessity going to change a few things and and you mix it in with the uh, you know the introduction of um, you know every company wants to do large language models and AI now and so I think that's another lens or, you know, another, um, you know, um, way of, of seeing a uh, data issue is more clearly, um, I think we've talked about this Malcolm, but it definitely feels like, you know, if there was ever a time that we need to get data, right, whether it's quality governance you know, or just broader data management, it's probably now like we can't get it right now when there's like a ton of attention in AI, I have no idea when we're going to get this right. Like this, yeah. is, this is the time. If you're ever going to get it done as an industry, like, I don't know what the hell we're waiting for. And I'm not sure, you know, there, there's only so many AI winters and machine learning hype cycles you can go through before people kind of get tired of it. We've yeah. been through a few of these. I really feel genuinely like this is the time when we should be getting this right and like actually take this seriously.
0: I I, I agree. And I've mm-hmm. actually kind of said this publicly a number of times. I think that, that CDOs... Are at a bit of an inflection point, but it's not. Don't assume that it can inflect up. It could actually inflect down. It yeah, could go. Either, it could go either way, up, up or down, based on f- us finally maybe figuring out some of this stuff. And I've had a lot of conversations recently online, you know, about some of these topics that we've been talking about literally for twenty years, yeah. right? Like, like how to how to address governance and quality. You know, how, how to link. Uh, our, our data-related efforts to actual business outcomes and on and on and on. And I couldn't agree more. I think now is the time. I do think getting back to your conversation about kind of the the dev and data divide, that's something we absolutely need to fix because because I think it strikes at the foundation of the culture of both of these organizations. And I think right now, things are a little dysfunctional, but it's a two-way street. Being too kind. Um, well, perhaps, <laughs> but but it's definitely a two-way street, right? Like as, as much mm-hmm. as it stings to hear somebody in the dev side say, I don't care about data and analytics,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: On our side, on the data side, we do a lot of finger waving. Oh, yeah. Right? Like we do a lot of finger waving, all oh, that silly business, right? They'll never get the data quality right, right? And, and there is no shortage of sound bites about how crappy the data is, right? When in reality, I've got a working theory that, a lot of what we call data quality or poor data quality is just a different use case mm-hmm. Me- meaning data that is that is that is optimized for an operational use but not optimized for an analytical use and the mm-hmm. divide is all sorts of transformations all sorts of munging all sorts of whinging and complaining about low quality data that seems to be perfectly fine for the business process of supporting often yep. exactly so how do we bring those two worlds together because you know how do we get the business side as it were i would i would say our customers how do we get them to kind of know that what they do has downstream impacts without being finger wavy right Mm -hmm. being supportive and and, and enabling um and helpful and on the on on the data side of the house how do we stop basically blaming the business for all of our woes
1: i think as a profession we really need to um you know for lack of a better way putting it pull our heads out of our rear ends and um it's incumbent upon us, I would say, to, to uh, start helping bridge the divide. I think you're exactly right. All too often, we're very, um, you know, we, we like to point our fingers at everyone else but ourselves. And I think, you know, if, if you've been having the same discussion, if we've been having the same discussions as an industry for 20 plus years, yeah, which, you know, you've been there, I, I, I've been around that, that long too. And it's, it, it's, it gets exhausting after a bit you know i've been i've been having thoughts about this industry and part of me is like is it what are we doing at the end of the day you know we we keep we keep talking about value business value it drives me insane um i jump off a bridge next somebody talks about business value i'm just i'm tired of the conversation because it's 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 it's, you know it's it's just it's, it's like it's like I don't know. Being at a crazy house, people just keep talking about the same stuff over and over every single day, and and we're not getting anywhere. I think it's incumbent upon us to start thinking of different ways to do this and start acting on it, right? I I think like the, the it's it's obvious that the ways we've been doing it haven't been working, right? I mean, you brought up a post the other day about uh, you know large language models and small language models and introducing those for for data governance. I'm like at this point, I'm like, screw it. If this is what it takes, it's a hail mary pass, because I, I can tell you the stuff we've been trying to do for data governance for the past 20, 30 years ain't working. I keep seeing the same arguments over and over again. And um, I don't know if, if these were people talking, which they are, I guess you, you would probably call them crazy or maybe uh, you know, in need of uh, some help. So, so uh, you know, part of it, I definitely think to bring it back is, is to bridge that divide um, at a minimum. I don't think it requires high tech stuff. I think it's as it's nope. simple as like doing lunch and learns with the dev team and saying, here's what we're working on. Here's ways you can help us out, you know, and this is how, how it affects, you know, our relationship, which we want to improve. Here's how it affects the broader business. Here's how it affects you. You know, the reality is, in, in a lot of cases, you know, data applications are becoming data products right? and, and applications, software applications are becoming data products. And, and so what that means is, you know, data is becoming more and more of a first class citizen. So the feedback loop between application and dev isn't a one way street anymore. It's it's going you know, in a harmonious cycle. So I think the sooner you can start building empathy and, and a good relationship with the dev team, that, that goes a ton, great long ways towards solving things and, and show them that, you know, the, you know, you help us out. Hey, there's a feedback loop now between us and, and you and we'll help you out. And this is, we're all on the same team at the end of the day. There isn't a, a dev and, and data. And I, I, So I think that's, you know, just, you know, that's how I think individuals can impact it. Again, lunch and learns, I found were like some of the best, most powerful things you could do, just buy lunch for people. Show them what you're doing. You know they can show you what they're doing, and it just goes a long ways. Um, you know, just communication. It doesn't doesn't cost you much. Like you know, being being nice doesn't cost you anything. It just, just needs you need to be friendly to people, right? And so, right.
0: Well, it's it's so much harder to 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 you know um, throw stones when when you know somebody, right? When you when you've had lunch with them, or maybe you've gone to a happy hour. or something. Yeah. Who knows, right? Um, it's so much harder to be hypercritical or or, or malevolent um, if if they're friends of yours, right? So. C- yeah. could agree more. I do see kind of high level, a, a, a void of what I think is strong leadership. And we, and yeah. we absolutely positively need stronger leadership, right? Like we, we need to stop the finger waving. We need to be more customer driven. You'd mentioned data products. Um, that one to me could, could go either way. Speaking of mm-hmm. inflection points, right? It could actually have a negative impact when all you do as a data leader is slap a new label on something.
1: Absolutely. Right?
0: Yep. Like, because because our, our customers are going to see right through that. It's like, oh, here we right. go again with another data mart or another Hadoop. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I've seen this, I've seen this play out before, and this is just another big data moment. You've slapped a new new label on something and nothing has fundamentally changed. Okay. You've hired somebody who used to be a data steward and, or business analyst and now has the title of data product owner, yeah. but Right, like, what's different? Right, that's the inflecting down because our, our customers are going to question us, and they're going to think that this is just some sort of, you know, uh, spin cycle, and we're just chasing the hype. Or, to me, it could actually inflect up if we start actually practicing product management, because that's to yeah. me, that's that's the goodness.
1: What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I think you hit on something really important, which is, you know, you know, you know. Uh, as Peter Drucker always talks about, right? The, the purpose of a, a business is to serve a customer, right? All too often, it's not what we do on our teams. It's it's to, you know we have an, you have other customers and you know internally and so forth. But the customer that really matters at the end of the day is the customer, the one that's paying for your business. <laughs> so I think you're absolutely right. If we can get back to basics on that, and um, I think it goes a long way because that because that focuses you to be be customer centric. And I think if you if you can so there's, you know, the technique of value stream mapping, right? So focusing on the end cut the external customer yeah. and what they want and how, do you, how you serve them, right? And the, uh, the processes and information flows that, that service that customers needs, uh, you know, that's those sorts of practices that, you know, I, I totally agree would go a long ways, um, not just practices, but, but a culture of, of thinking about a customer. So I'll give you a really good example. I was at Chick-fil-A on um, Friday, uh, not the restaurant, but at HQ. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I do go to the restaurant. you in often, Atlanta. That's uh, right. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'd heard things about Chick-fil-A's culture, right? Good things. Like it was rock solid. Um, you know, I've met people from there before. You go to a restaurant, right? And the, the staff is just, it's a different experience. People are just like, oh, it was my pleasure to give you 50 packets of ketchup and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, but when I was there, you know, at first I thought, I was like, this, this has got to be a ruse. You just want this into the culture right. here. Nope, absolutely. They, they are Absolutely brought in, Um, and it's a very customer-centric viewpoint. It's like at the end of the day, what matters is making the customer happy, right? Um, I think they nailed it. You know, it's a culture that I would say for what they what they're doing, it works. It's worked for a long time. You know, Truett Cathy, the uh, the founder of the company, I think he did a good job at instilling the culture. But to me, that's like exemplary of of a a strong culture where everyone from like top to bottom knows why they're there and what they're supposed to do that's it.
0: Yeah, I I think it ultimately is about customers. And you, you mentioned value mapping and understanding how data kind of weaves itself through all of the business processes and, and how those dots are connected. I think that that's important. Mm-hmm. I won't go off on too much of a tangent here, but but I would argue that if we are more business literate, we mm-hmm. would be asking our customers to be, we would ask them less to be more data literate. I, I think if you have well-designed products that are, that are intuitive and easy to use and meet a need, where you've shown a, a connection between what you do and the value provided to internal customers and external customers, uh, then there's gonna be less of this focus on what could otherwise be called data literacy. Because um, c- fank- frankly, when you're focused on data literacy or when you're focused on being data-driven, I-, I, th- I think that those are code words for putting data first when we should be putting customers first. Because frankly, that engineer that didn't care about data uh, on the business side of the house, that's a, that's, that's a very, very common, very common perspective. Um, and there's, there's some problems to that. Um, but I, I think if, if we have well-designed products, uh, that are, that, and we are maniacally focused on customers and, and building things that are easy to use, I think a lot of that other stuff just kind of naturally flows away and we, and we can become our own Chick-fil-As as it were.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, I think business literacy and and, and um, like customer literacy, right? Are, are, are necessary for sure. I think they're prerequisites. Data literacy is good. You know, i I, I think Jordan Morrow is going to be uh, stopping my house for a barbecue on Friday. So, are he's, 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 I I we
0: supposed like, to connect with him on Friday? Something came up. We had a meeting uh, set up on Friday afternoon to, to connect because because I'm I'm critical of data literacy. I I, yeah, I, really, I, 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 I I really am, but but he's such a wonderful human being. Yeah, that like I want. I reached out and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm critical here, but I want you to know why I'm critical, and I want you to know where Mm -hmm. I'm coming from, and I want you to see my perspective here." Because I, it, it, the exact words that I used, I said, "It, it it brings me no passion, or it brings me no joy to be so critical of something that I know you're so passionate about."
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, it's, I think everything has its place, right? I mean, he, you know, data literacy is. um, I think it's, it's, it's good. I, I, I. from my perspective, I, I would say like, if you can have, the basic thing is just know why you're there in the first place. Right. So yeah. that goes back to the customer and then building the literacy on the customer, then business literacy, understand how, you know, different um, you know functions of the business work to serve that customer. But, but data is, I think ha- data literacy has its place, I think. And then why, where it has its place is as you become more data driven, it, you know, another word that'll trigger you to jump off a bridge. Um, The, uh, <laughs> um, but it's, I think it does have a place, but it's only I think when you build the foundation of of serving a customer, right, and then from there you you can leverage that experience better with data. But I don't think the other, I don't think the opposite is true. Or if you start with data, everything magically falls into place because you don't have a true north and you don't have your why. Um, You know, I mean, some of the best run organizations. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, John D. Rockefeller back in the day. uh, How? How much money does that guy have at his peak? I think you still maybe argue, adjust for inflation, probably one of the richest, if not the richest yeah. person in the world. Um, I don't recall him having a data-driven data science team. Um, you know, I don't think that he uh used um, you know, didn't have giant uh, cloud data centers and stuff. I don't think he had a CDO, right? Um he also was very monopolistic and you know, I think there are a lot of antitrust laws that came about as a result of him, but uh um but the whole point is he he had a sense of what people wanted, and they wanted oil, right? Um, and he had a sense of what he wanted, which is he wanted to control that oil. So, so that's that's one example. But it wasn't a data driven, uh, you know. It, you couldn't say that he started out from a data driven perspective, saying, "Oh, well, we have to be data driven to do this." It's not, not quite the same. But I do think it has its place. But it's only when you, I think you built the foundation and sort of the muscle memory of serving a customer, you know. Oh, Toyota is a really good example of this too, right? So, like lean, for example, right? That came about as a way of, um, you know, making uh, streamlining operations at Toyota, but lean is very much a very like low tech uh, thing. It just relies on people on the shop floor to understand what's going on. That's, that's about it. Like, and to remove defects as they happen, but it wasn't this, you know, this grand uh, data munging exercise far from it. You had, uh, I don't know, a Kanban board visible from everybody. You have a cord, the end -end cord, that will like stop the production line if something happens. Right. Like, you know, it's, you can apply data after that. And I think those were, you know, things like Six Sigma and, um, you know, other, um, you know, quality control things came into effect. But at the end of the day, that, that, that was just, that was super low fidelity, right? It doesn't, you don't need to be fancy. So.
0: Yeah, the, the way, the way I kind of look at it, the things that you were describing before around this kind of this idea of like being customer driven and versus data driven. The way I look at it is kind of bottom up versus top down. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you had to pick, you should be top down. The top is the customer. And, and, yep. and where are we going? That's the North, your exact words were your North Star. That's that's your North Star. What does the customer want? What does the customer want? Customer like can be maniacally focused on that. But what I see is so many of us in the data world go from the bottom up. Right. Like we will go catalog everything. We'll glossary everything. We'll do lineage for everything. We'll understand our pipelines intimately at a, at a minute level, like the lowest kind of atomic level. Um, and then from there, we'll we'll try to take the next level up, and we'll try to build a product on top of that. And that right. gets problematic because there's so many possible skews. And is a product is it, is it a field? Is it a record? Is it what is it? And that bottoms up, um, things can get really complicated, really, really quickly, because you don't have a north star. It, all governance becomes equally important. All all data becomes equally important. All systems become equally important. But if you take the top down. You can cut away all of that other stuff and just focus on the one thing. Like, what is that one thing? And maybe it's just one report or one master data domain or, or something else. So, yeah. couldn't totally. couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. All right. In in our last little time that we we have together, you're a data guy. You're you're a recovering data scientist. <laughs> Obviously, the AI is at the front of everybody's mind. Uh, I'm a new CDO, and maybe I actually don't have. A data science team or a data scientist. I've got I've got a few data engineers and I've I've got you know I've I've got a reasonably sized team maybe fifteen people or so. But I don't have a dedicated data science function. Do I need one?
1: Hmm. The trick answer is yes. Um, okay. So, uh, but I don't think that's the correct answer. Um, but it's the answer I think people will gravitate towards because uh, it gives you the appearance of doing something. Um, so. And you might have a budget that you need to spend too, so there's that. Uh, but you know, I, I if I'm a new CDO and I've never been a CDO, so I'm only speaking from hypotheticals here. But I would, you know, I would definitely take the time to read the room. You know, understand again what's what's the comp- where's the company at. Um, you know, in terms of the, I would say the capability of doing data science, for example. Right. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many uh, um, executives I've seen who have you know been walked in said they're going to do really cool stuff with uh, data, you know, AI and yada, yada, yada. And, and they're gone. They're gone soon, you know, because it's hard to deliver on it. Right. Or, or if it is, or if they embark on this, maybe it's going towards the wrong thing. And so I would say like, you know, read the room, understand like what, what were you hired to do? You know, what, and not just by the immediate boss, but like, you know, talk to the, you know, I'm assuming the CEO probably hired you or maybe the board made a decision, but really I would have a, Even before I'm hired, I would have candid chats with them and understand, okay, like, what are you trying to do with this? Like, what's, why is this going to move the needle for you? Uh, I don't think every company has to do AI. I think, um, you know, uh, it's, in fact, I would say it's maybe the farthest thing from like what other companies should be doing. But yeah, what were you going to ask?
0: Well, I was getting, I, 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 so I kind of struggle with this question myself, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because I'm not entirely sure where things are, are going from a kind of a meta perspective, right? Like. Half of me thinks that models will become commoditized. Um, certainly large language models will, will increasingly become commoditized. And you've got Bing and BARD and OpenAI, and maybe you'll have a handful of others. But will one really, really be that different from another? Um, I I I I'm not I'm not sure. So that's, that's half of me that would say, okay, off the shelf solutions, maybe I can use that, right? Maybe I don't need to go hire a, a custom data scientist team or build a, a, a data science team. And maybe, maybe I just need a few really good engineers and some people who kind of understand this stuff, but I don't need to go pay 400 grand for a dedicated data scientist. That's half right. of me. Mm-hmm. The other half of me says, well, where, where we could be going is, you know, dedicated models, new models, smaller models that don't cost zillions of dollars to build that are trained off highly bespoke data sets and one of those may be mine like my corporate data set and maybe i do need a data scientist to do that w- what do you think
1: well I, so it goes back to our you know one part of our book we are we giving a talk on this on saturday with a group of uh, people doing a book clip on it but we talk about um in the context of data engineering we call them type a and type b data engineers so type a stands for abstraction type b stands for build build is where you start customizing and and uh, building to your core competencies um you know that sorts of business function and i would say you need to again go back and read the room and understand like kind of where you are as a company first like do you have you know is it is it required that i need to build or am i fine doing a uh, type a which is just buying abstracted services mm-hmm. and using those um you know and, and so you just need to understand the use case so you know if i you know, i would first understand like what ai is and what machine learning is and like <laughs> all the all the basics like the, you know to me that's stable six if you're going to be a cdo yeah. is you should at least have a, a bar, you know a, um, a baseline of competency and understanding like the difference between these things if you don't have that then god help you um but uh you know if, if it, that being said you know evaluate what are the trade-offs if, if you decide to go down the, the bespoke route and uh customize models like what's it gonna what it, what do you get at the end of the day right like what does that how does that reflect against the band-aid um that you were probably given I would go from there. I mean, there's not there's not a right answer. I think the, the, you know, hi, data scientists are expensive, as you say. Um, I would do everything in my power to avoid hiring people, um, you know, or but when I do, I'm going to hire the right ones, you know, I, I, hopefully. Uh, but you, I think you really do need to read the room and understand like what, where where are you at as a company? Um, yeah. So I think it just, that's kind of the bottom line. There isn't there. I don't think there is a standard answer for this. I think. Like I said the tricky the tricky answer would be to uh yeah, you definitely need to hire a, a full data team um but i I think through the especially through the twenty you know the early twenty twenties we saw how that went when money was falling from the sky and uh data teams you could spin those up real quick and uh, exorbitant salaries and now a lot of those data teams are being let go right they, they weren't they weren't able to provide the uh value um, and deliver on the mandate that they were probably expected to do you know or they or it was um you know, I, mean, I think the dirty secret is a lot. Is some data teams are hired because it provides the optics that you're doing data stuff, and that might help you raise another round of funding. It might help you uh, get a particular customer. Um, you know, so there's I've seen this happen uh, personally, and it, it, so there are other reasons why you might want to have a data team. So I think you also need to understand, read the room and understand: is that the reason you need a data team? It may not be to do data stuff at all.
0: Well, and we come right back to. Something that we talk about a lot and I talk about a lot on LinkedIn and, and other places is having some idea of a data strategy. Yep. Right. And and what, when you say read the room, right, like you've got to know your operating model. You've got to know your capabilities. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where are you trying to go? What's that North Star? Now, this doesn't require, you know, a nine month long Accenture engagement to go and build <laughs> the data strategy. Right. Which which is what I actually see often. I used to see this at Gartner all the time. Six to nine month you know long drawn out engagements to do these kind of maturity assessments and and these these strategy engagements that took forever and ever, but still having an idea of what 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 success looks like what's the north star, and kind of some of your operating model like where are you strong and where are you weak doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you need to spend six months on a maturity assessment because spoiler alert you're probably two point five out of five across the board. <laughs> Right. Like, it's just always the same. Right. It's like, yeah, we suck at governments and we, we suck at data quality and we're, we're marginally OK at, at, at BI and we're marginally OK at a few other things. And yeah, not, mm-hmm. not, not going to be a lot of insights there. So, all right. Great advice. As, as, as always, uh, enjoyed our chat. You'd mentioned the, uh, the Monday morning data chat. I have been a guest in the past. I yeah. absolutely Great positively job. recommend tuning into that. It's 10 o'clock
1: Mountain. It's uh, 9 a.m. mountain time. Now, yeah. 9
0: mountain. Okay. Yeah. So 11 Eastern, the Monday morning data chat yeah. on LinkedIn. You've got your book. You're on the road. You're off to where next?
1: So this weekend, I go to Australia for a couple of weeks, uh, going on the uh, grand tour Data engine Bytes is a data engineering conference in Australia. So hitting nice. uh, Perth, Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, and Ooh. Sydney. And after that... Yeah, lots of trips. I think this entire fall is booked. Uh, with and you're uh, at Big Data London, right? Oh, yeah, keynoting Big Data London, too. Yep, doing that. Oh, um,
0: cool. Okay. Is yeah. there a keynote pan- I think they did a panel last year, didn't they, with Zamak and a few others? Or that was a You
1: know, know Zamak keynoted. And I, I think, as far as I know, I'm doing whatever she did. So. Um, oh,
0: all right. Yeah. Big shoes to fill there, sir. Big shoes to fill.
1: She's actually got smaller shoes than me. I'm just kidding. Um, so she's she's, she's, a, she's a really good friend of mine. So uh, yeah, um, yeah, we're actually catching up uh, pretty soon here. But uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. Um, I think uh, you know, just the, it's it's interesting. I think we the interest in data engineering and, and the speaking requests. You know, I'm working on a new working on a new book on data modeling too. So that's I think kept uh, getting a lot of attention right it's now. The new Black? And, is it not? It is. Data yeah, modeling, it's back. Right. Back with the vengeance, um, you know, and and so, you know, stay tuned on that. I mean, the book should have been done by now, but I had a couple of course courses that popped up that I needed to get out of the, um, or I'm still working on. So you them, can't, but, uh, so, so can you automate that? I, th- I thought we automated data modeling.
0: Didn't we figure that out already?
1: No. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. In fact, yeah, we don't, we don't need it anymore. <laughs> point. Um, I, I'm you know,
0: being glib, of course.
1: No, but. no. I mean, all your, all your data problems will be solved now, just by uh, robots. I mean, that would be kind of cool, right? If that could happen, I, you know. Maybe at some point it will. Uh, I think it's, but it, it's interesting. You know, data modeling is one of these. Um, it's the call to arms for me was after I finished uh, fundamentals of data engineering. You know, I start talking to, to data engineers and software engineers and so forth. Data modeling, I think, across the board, is just one of these practices that has a lot of necessity and is uh, mysteriously gone from the lexicon and and, and um, practices and the quiver of of people who touch data. I would say unanimously, you know, if you if you talk to software engineers and you, you ask them about data modeling, it's it falls in deaf ears. you are like, I don't know, we, w- why would I do that? Um, you know, even stuff like understanding, you know, the the basic normal forms, that's uh, you know, largely disappeared. As far as I can tell, um, you know, and then from a data modeling perspective for analytics, and you know, just I'm just touching on things that have already existed for a long time: relational data models and then dimensional data models and uh, lesser extent data vault. But practices even like Kimball, this is being rediscovered, like for the first, it's like people just rediscovered fire or something. It's like, ooh, star schemas. Have you heard of these before? And it's like, yeah, it's been around for a long time, right? Is, is um, that
0: because relational databases just kind of got pushed to the side for a while?
1: but they're still widely used. I of mean, course. they're you know, Amazon Aurora is still, like they say, it's their biggest database yeah. ever and most widely used, but it's like, I think part of it is, you know, there's a pendulum between formal and fast. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the pendulum swung to fast definitely during the 2010s, you, you had no SQL databases, which aren't, you know, relational databases. I think that sort of blew up the door to say, well, what, why do we need to model things? And then, um, you know, the use of object relational mappers in software engineering, um, you know, which is an abstraction layer which you, you can write a the, basically your object oriented code can write um, SQL for you. I think that that's great. and It makes you um, fast, but it also means I don't know if you ever looked at the types of stuff that ORMs generate, but it's, it's interesting SQL. Most of it's pretty good, but but it also allows you the flexibility, I would say, to um, come up with a data model that probably isn't that coherent at all. It's fairly first normal form. And, and so you, you start getting into these, these machinations where I think, you know, we have all the tools in the world that that can make us um, faster, but I, I would say the practices in knowing how to use these tools is, is, you know, somewhat falling by the wayside, especially when it comes to databases. And and it's not just databases, though. When you, when you go up to the, the other, um, you know, considerations like conceptual and logical data modeling, which eventually should go to physical data modeling. I mean, conceptual and logical, these are terms that, that people don't hear about anymore and, and you know, we just jump straight to physical. So I think, you know, across the board, really, it's, it's, um, I think more symptomatic that data modeling just needs a bit of a revisit, but, but also it needs to be, I think the approach I'm taking with this book is looking at data modeling across the life cycle, you know, of data, whether it's, uh, where it's created, where it's used in applications, where it's used in analytics, but also machine learning streams and different, you know, ways along there, um, you know, as well as I think offering new techniques, um, that haven't been covered, you know and, and i mean the, the, if all we're doing is referring back to kimball at this point in relational modeling i think it says about a lot about the state of the industry that we haven't evolved that much mm-hmm. right but practices have certainly evolved but i would say our our, our framework for thinking about data and the way we model it haven't caught up at all hmm. we've actually well, regressed i think you talk about downward inflection points yeah that's one of them well yeah
0: thanks to the pendulum Right. We, I mean, I which exists in everything we do in business. And we, and we love to swing really, really wide to one side and then to the other side. We, and, oh, yeah. and in the process, we forget things. So anyway, I shall uh, let you get to your world travels and so you can finish off your book. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: To Anytime, Malcolm. Good job. Really,
0: you really, really appreciate it to uh, our audience. Thank you for tuning into this, the 33rd episode mm. of the CDO Matters podcast. Yeah, 33. It's kind of crazy. Uh, if you like what you heard today, please take the moment to uh, subscribe to check us out in the next episode. My many, many thanks to all of our uh, all of our listeners out there. Thanks again, Joe, and we'll see you again sometime soon. Thanks, thanks all. You very much. Thank you.